All right, what's up, everyone? You have reached across the aisle, <laughs> and you have found the Sons of History podcast. I'm Dustin Bass. And I'm Alan Joaquin. And once again, Alan's voice is very weird uh, because he's on the phone uh, calling in. reason we did this again is because... The freeway sort of shut down over the weekend, uh, but I just found out that they opened it up last night. So I've been at I've been at home pretty much all weekend, Alan, uh, staying here, sort of hunkering down, if you will. Uh, the apocalypse is taking place. I thought they were going to reopen at uh, five a.m. tomorrow. Yeah, that's the thing. I thought they were going to. It was supposed to be the entire weekend um, on through this evening, but apparently they opened it up last night. Um, and so it's a free-for-all, uh, but regardless, I'm here, you're there, um, and we are ready to go. Listeners, we've got a bit of a treat for you. What are we going to be talking about, Alan? Uh, we're going to be talking about coups. What? <laughs> we're going to be talking about what? <laughs> coups. I was saying, I, I was, yeah, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> it's gonna be the title of this of this episode. Uh, so obviously uh, we've got to. Oh man, that's <laughs> a, that's a really good one too. All right, glad you liked it. Uh, we will. I'll flip a coin um, when I'm putting this in this uh, title together. So, but anyways, something we instituted last week is books, uh, book recommendations for our listeners. Um, I know we had given out a a few book recommendations last week. I know that any normal uh, average American citizen has not read all of those books since last week. So uh, you'll probably still have stuff to, to read over. But we've got some more recommendations for you in this episode. Alan, what do you have? Well, I'm going to do a fiction and a history. So, fiction, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451. All right. Um, it's funny in that it uh, there's a part in there that kind of got me, was how people are entertained by their TVs. And, um, you know, this was written at a time when, you know, TVs were just little boxes. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you read the book, the description is uh, is pretty interesting, and uh, you know, it, it, you basically you're not uh, you're not really allowed to have books or read books uh, that uh, could uh, spur the imagination. So a lot of government control, a lot of mind control. I consider it one of the important books to read uh, in terms of freedom. Yeah, that goes with. Uh, you know, like the Animal Farm, 1984, Brave New World. I consider that one of the books that uh, that the people who uh, cherish freedom need to read. Yeah, every time I go through, if, if it's the beginning of the, the school year or the semester, uh, required reading, whenever I walk through like a Barnes & Noble, Fahrenheit 451 is, is typically um, on one of those tables uh, that have, and it's typically Fahrenheit 451, Animal Farm, um, 
1984, uh, books like that. Uh, interestingly enough, I've never read Fahrenheit 451, but I will take it upon your recommendation to do so. So I will be sure to put that on the list of books to read for myself. So. Okay, very good. Now, the second book is called The Histories by Herodotus. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that anyone can call themselves a historian if they have never read Herodotus's The Histories. Well, thank now, God I don't I, call I myself warn, a historian. I will warn you that, that there are, um, there are a, there's a lot of uh, digression in, this, in the book, and there is question of authenticity in terms of uh, some of the figures and stats, uh, but if you want to know the, the beginning history of the Mediterranean, um, this is a great book to open and read. Um, it talks about how the Persian Empire became, uh, where the term uh, richer than Croesus. Uh, if you love the movie 300. All right. And yeah, and which regarded the Battle of Thermopylae between King Leonidas and his 300 Spartans versus uh, uh, King Xerxes and his uh, Persian armies. It's in there. That's where the uh, that's where it came from. Right. Um, the Battle of Marathon, it's in there, which took place 10 years uh, before the Battle of Thermopylae. It's all in there. It's, uh, you know, it, like I said, it does have some stories that can be kind of boring, but overall, you will learn quite a bit, and it is very entertaining. Very cool. Uh, yeah, and little known fact, <laughs> or maybe not little known, and correct me if this is just... Uh, if this is not really historically accurate, but you say the Battle of Marathon wasn't one of the Greek citizens or soldiers named Marathon, and he ran from, uh, I guess, well, he ran 26.2 miles, correct? Was it from the, the shore to the, to the city uh, to warn well, the people that the Persians were coming okay. or what? There was a guy by the name of Thucydides who actually ran from Athens to Sparta to get the Spartans to, uh, they wanted the Spartans to fight because everybody, the, the, the Athenians were smart enough to know that the Spartans were the best fighters in all of Greece. Correct. Of course, they didn't call it Greece, uh, but uh, they knew that the, that they were the smartest. But unfortunately, the, uh, the Persians were invading at a time when the Spartans were having a festival, a very religious festival, and they really were not allowed to to uh, stop what they were doing to fight. So they eventually joined up and assisted the Athenians, but by then the battle was already over. The Athenians and the Palatians, uh, they're from Palladia. I, I don't know the exact name for them, um, but... Uh, they were the ones who assisted the Athenians. They were the only ones who assisted the, the Athenians in that battle. Now, after the battle was over and the, and the Athenians were victorious, the Persians got on their ships. And what they tried to do was circle around a peninsula so that they, get, so that they could get to Athens. Because they knew that the Athenian army wasn't at Athens, they were at Marathon. So they figured that Athens was undefeated, was uh, was undefended. So the ships set sail. The Persian ships set sail for Athens. Now, the, okay, uh, 
are we gonna are we doing are we doing Greek history tonight or no, are we? No, but 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 I want to tell you the story. The Athenians <laughs> sent sent a man. His, supposedly, it's in the book. They sent a man, um, and it, it doesn't have a name. But he did run the twenty six point whatever miles it was, and when he got to Athens, he yelled, uh, "We are victorious!" And then he dropped dead. Beautiful. So you have two different you have two different runners. Okay. Okay. All right. Hey, you asked me a question. I'm giving you the answer. And I appreciate it. You you have no idea how much. Okay. So. Oh man, you never know. <laughs> careful, careful what you ask for, my friend. Especially when you ask me a question about history. Duly noted. Rest assured. Okay, so here, here are my, here are my uh, suggestions for listeners, and, and we'll jump right into it. I promise, listeners, I won't go into a big spill like my good friend Alan. So now, uh, most of our listeners, if not all of them, don't have to read uh, histories anymore by Thucydides uh, uh, because you just give them everything that they need. Did I say Thucydides? Yeah. Oh, not, no. That guy was an author. I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, Herodotus. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, what? You said Herodotus? Like, if I said Thucydides, I was wrong on that one. It was like uh, Pheidippides. Huh? Pheidippides? Look, man. You, now you've completely ruined <laughs> this episode. So we're gonna we're gonna move on. Read the the histories. I thought it's. Yeah. Pheidippides, that, that's the guy's name. That's what I meant to say, Pheidippides, not Thucydides, Pheidippides. Okay. My bad. All right. Very good. And moving on to my selections, and we'll jump right through it. Uh, my, fiction, right. my fiction selection uh, is The Spy Who Came In From the Cold by John Le Carre. Uh, he is a former... John Le Carre is actually a former British spy uh, turned novelist. He's written a ton of spy novels. Uh, many of them have been turned into big movies. Uh, Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy, A Most Wanted Man, uh, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. Uh, and The Spy Who Came In From the Cold was actually, I believe, his second book um, or his third book, but it was the first one that really put him on the market. Really, really fun read. Uh, it's a Cold War spy novel, um, and it's a quick read. It's a small book, and so it's my favorite spy novel uh, to all of our listeners out there. One of my guilty pleasures, of which I have not been guilty for quite some time, is reading spy novels. I have read uh, a few of his, including Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Most Wanted Man, Taylor in Panama, and this one, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold. Uh, this one, uh, by far, is my favorite one. Um, and the movie, actually, is really good, too. Uh, it was made, I believe, in uh, the early 60s. And it's it, it follows the book really well. It's just very good. So if you, can, if you can find the movie and if you can find the book, check it out. Uh, the way I actually found it, it was actually pretty interesting. Uh, and this sort of got me on my, my track for reading spy novels. I've always been a big James Bond fan, uh, but I had never really read any novels, uh, spy novels. I was at an antique store in Tomball, uh, and I do antiquing every so often. I am dying to go because I haven't gone in, in quite some time now. 
But as I was checking out and, and buying something, I looked down and there is this copy, this old, uh, very old copy. And it may have been a first edition, I can't remember, uh, of the spy who came in from the cold. But it was just sitting there, uh, had the book cover on there and all that. And I go, oh man, the spy who came in from the cold. I know that. I've heard that before. And I didn't know who John LeCar was. Picked it up, bought it because it was only about five bucks. Went home, read it, loved it, got on uh, got on my whole spy novel, uh, thing there. So there you have that. Uh, and I think, uh, the, the spy who came in from the cold really goes in hand in hand with what we're going to be talking about, uh, this, this episode and my nonfiction piece I've referenced before. It's a book by the historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. And I'm sure that uh, a lot of our listeners have at least read one of her, uh, historical books. Uh, and this one is The Bully Pulpit, which is about Theodore Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, and as she uh, labels it, the golden age of journalism. So we are actually going to be mentioning um, Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft, uh, most likely in this episode, because um, I've got it written down in my notes. So yeah. there you have it. Yeah, I got, Teddy Roosevelt was one of my favorite presidents, even though I was not around to witness him, yeah. Reading reading about him, I think he was just a, a a fantastic guy. Which reminds me that that is somebody that we can even bring to this discussion. Yeah. May I have May I have the honors? I would love it. I would love it. So okay. Uh, I haven't now. I have not read about this in about twenty years, so oh, my no. facts are wrong. Okay, is this an, is this another rabbit trail, or are we? Okay, here we no, go. No, 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 no. It's actually it's actually has to do with this very subject that we are going to discuss. Okay, uh, but we can go ba- we can go back and discuss some of the, uh, the you know like uh, what's going on with the shutdown. But but uh, you know back in back in the early part of the twentieth century. Uh, there was discussion about about uh, building a canal, yeah. either across Panama or Nicaragua. Now, Panama was a part of Colombia at the time, and they didn't know they knew that there was revolution going on in Panama, and so they didn't know if they should, you know, go in with the Colombians or go in with the Panamanians. They they weren't sure what to do. So what they what Roosevelt did Roosevelt, I should say, is that he he helped encourage a Panamanian revolution, and from Colombia. And when that occurred, they then said, "Okay, we're so grateful. You can now build your canal." And there you have it. That yep. does that does tie yep. tie right on in. Yeah, it worked uh, quite well for, uh, for us. And interestingly enough, I did mention. Uh, the Tailor of Panama um, by Jean Le Carre. So look at that. And that there you go. All right, so I want to make a quick correction about something I said last week. I had said that government spending in the United States makes up takes up 21% of the GDP. I was actually incorrect. It is much higher than that. It's actually, I have seen two numbers uh, that have been put out, 36 to 38%. So the actual... Uh, government spending takes up about 36 to 38% of the GDP, which is way more insane uh, 
than what I had anticipated. In fact, we'd be doing a lot better if we could get it down to 21%. That would be lovely. Um, and, you know, during the, during the uh, Clinton years, it was actually a little below 20%, which would be fantastic if we could get it back over there. So, listeners, just to let you know, uh, that's where we stand right now. Not 21%, but around the 38% mark. So, uh, so speaking of government money, the government shutdown is still going on. It is now the longest government shutdown in American history. And it's primarily about immigration. It revolves around that and funding for the wall, of which $5.7 billion uh, <laughs> has been requested by President Trump. And apparently that would be, that would solve it. It would, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it'd be more like me, you know, you asking me, uh, hey, give me $20 for me to do something um, that will generate you you know, however many, however much money, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's as simple as that in yeah. the grand scheme of things. That's how small the amount of money is. So we obviously do have an immigration problem. Uh, we have a government shutdown. And so what do you think about this government shutdown? Will it end? I know we, we sort of tackled that or brought it up last week during the episode. What do you think, man? Well, uh, I think both sides have pretty much painted themselves into a corner mm -hmm. because neither side can give in. And if, I, if they do, they are going to be in big trouble. Now, um, my understanding is, is that $5 billion, the $5.7 billion that uh, President Trump is requesting is actually... Uh, a smaller amount than what was originally estimated for the wall to be at the satisfactory level. Um, I know that the entire 2,000 miles are not going to be uh, fortified uh, because there are uh, natural barriers, there are canyons, so obviously you don't need a wall there. Mm -hmm. uh, but the areas that are the most needed is what would be used for the $5.7 billion. Yeah. Now, He's, he's sitting saying, give me, just give me the five. He's not making demands for anything else. He just wants funding for the wall. That's it. Um, the other side, and when I say the other side, I'm talking about Schumer and Pelosi. No, they're saying absolutely not. We're not going to give you the money. Yeah. Um, now, what I don't understand is, is that prior to Trump's uh, election, they were all for building a barrier. They were all for building a wall. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have my, my belief. I, I, I am biased. You know I am biased about, about when it comes to Trump versus Schumer and Pelosi. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I will just say it. I, I think now that you know, Trump is a president that they don't want him to have a win uh, because they know Trump will tout it and, and say, look, I, I am victorious. I won on this part. Uh, this is one of my achievements. And he, and he will use it as a reason for re-election. Right. So they're trying to prevent him from, from getting a win. But they're doing it, I'm sorry to say, to the detriment of our country. Right. Yeah, on, on, several, on several ends, uh, not just from a national security 
perspective, but also from an employee perspective. I think 800,000 employees, somewhere in there, um, government employees, uh, they ain't getting paid right now, man. And that's that's rough. Uh, I think this whole thing started on December 21st, and you know we're midway through January now. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's no good for a lot of people, and it just shows you the just the outright, you know, just not working together. Uh, both sides, it, they just can't come together on on this this idea, this topic, this agreement, however you want to put it. Uh, that's and it's a real it's a real issue. Although to me, it's it's something that I'm like, hey, they're they're bigger fish to fry. So I'm sure that you saw the, the video that Jim Acosta put up where he is at the border and he is right next to the wall. And he was saying, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's nobody here. It's peaceful. Nothing's going on. Uh, so uh, he was trying to persuade people that the need for a wall is uh, null and void. Um, and there are... <laughs> People were responding with, yes, we, we see there's nobody there because there's a wall there. They can't get over it. So they're going, yeah, they're like going proven, somewhere else. Like proving the point. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a very ironic moment in the reporting of Jim Acosta. Uh, of which yeah, well, Jim, Jim Acosta is no longer a reporter. He's now an activist. Yeah, he, activist, actor. I don't, I don't know what he is, uh, but... He's, he's something else. Um, but um, moving on. So we got an immigration problem. Everybody everybody knows that. Uh, state of emergency, uh, dis, you know, disaster situation. I think that's overplaying it a bit um, from uh, President Trump. I don't think it is, it is that. I think it was that with the whole caravan situation when everybody was coming in. That was a time to you know, uh, put out a state of emergency situation. I think he could have gotten away with that if he'd have done it at that moment in time. Now, uh, with everything sort of not as urgent as it was, uh, I think it's... But, I mean, but do you want to, do you want to be in a situation where you only do something when there is an emergency? I mean, you know, we... Yeah, but I mean, I'm not saying don't do anything. We keep in shape and we keep, uh, strong... Right, and we don't have, I mean, China and Russia are not going to attack us right now. We, we know that. But we don't know what it's going to be like, let's say, in, in 20 years. Uh, something could happen, and, you know, you, you, always, you always keep your, you always stay prepared. You're always prepared. So, you know, if, you, if we build a wall in the areas that the Border Patrol says, this is where we need a wall, then you're, act, and, and they've been doing that, then yeah. you're actually getting advice from people who are actually at the battle lines, not from the politicians. Right. Uh, now, it's if, just, but it's, it's not, you don't call it a state of emergency um, because it's not. It's like, you know that China and Russia are the enemies along with Iran and a, a number of other countries, but you can't uh-huh. say, all right, we're in a state of emergency because, well, no, we're not because nobody has shot any missiles at us yet. Uh, but I wanted to, to discuss how to solve this uh, the situation with the Latin American countries that uh, we're running into issues with. 
when it comes to immigration, uh, from my perspective, it comes down to economics. Uh, what are your views? We have two choices. We either get involved or we don't get involved. If we get involved, we can actually control the situation. Mm -hmm. um, I believe in the, you know, I'm going to go on a limb here. Uh, I think it was during the Ford or Carter administrations where political assassinations were outlawed. I don't know if that was such a good idea. Maybe it's a good thing to kill a, uh, a political leader who is the reason why an entire nation, where millions of people are affected. Well, if we just got rid of that one person, things would go good for all those millions of people. Case in point, Maduro of uh, Venezuela. If we just took this guy out, I think it would brighten the lives of millions of Venezuelans. Same could have been said had we taken out Saddam Hussein and his two sons. We might not have even gone to war in 2003. So here we are with the Latin American nations. Okay, if we leave them alone and they do the things that they want to do, we've noticed that things can go very bad. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, we have a refugee problem. And now it's our problem. Right. So we can either get involved and anger some people saying, hey, look how we're overthrowing a government like we did in Chile or Grenada. Or we cannot get involved and let things happen. Examples would be Cuba mm -hmm. or, um, you know, a lot of the things that are going on in South America right now. Um, I don't that was it, I think Argentina has some inflationary issues. Uh, Brazil was going through some problems. They just elected a man that's very much like Trump. And, and it's not just Latin America, but if you also look at the Middle East, you look at uh, Africa, North Africa, rather. Well, yeah, uh, I mean... I mean, and you I, know, I, I, this, this, I, subject, this subject has spread to so I, many different countries. It does. So there are a lot of bad leaders. There are a lot of terrible governments out there. And you've, you've mentioned a couple of continents, African continent, the, uh, uh, the South American continent. Um, so you obviously you have a lot of bad people, bad governments. We have stepped in uh, extremely intrusively, violently at times. And then we have had it to where we have not stepped in. Right. And there are times where you have like the Brazilian government where there was a lot of corruption there. They they, you know, had her get kicked out. Um, you have uh, other other governments um, like let's uh, what, what did you say? Ar Argentina, um, where it's yeah, not so Argentina, much. Yeah, Argentina, Brazil, they were they were in bad shape. And, right. And they're in bad shape. But there's a difference. Like we did with Chile. But there's a difference in, in being in bad shape and then uh, things that are going on like in, in Venezuela and, and El Salvador. Uh, where there's... No, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not suggesting we go into Argentina or uh, prior to the election going into Brazil. I'm not saying that. But, but when, you, uh, you know, when you let things go on its own and you don't get involved, mm -hmm. things can get really bad. Right. A great example is Zimbabwe. Uh, if someone took out Robert Mugabe, then mm -hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe they could overthrow the government there. 
I mean, Zimbabwe, their their money is is, is worthless. Oh yeah, yeah. They they, they, they yeah they they were printing money. Yeah, there's to the point where their their money is like no a good. Ten trillion dollar note. It's sort of the the whole like the the mob movies where where you're trying to pay somebody off and you're like, yeah, your your money is no good here. That is literally the case everywhere in Zimbabwe. Uh, your money is no good anywhere. Uh, you can't you can't even spend it. People are you know quintillionaires and uh, they ain't got they ain't hardly got a dollar to their name. Um, so what I was what I was saying is from an economic standpoint, America is by far the largest economy in the world uh, by far. China is second, and still they are technically they're not even that close to us. Um, and given that in the '90s it was you know the NAFTA agreement benefited you know has has benefited Canada and Mexico significantly. Now it's just us three. And interestingly enough, Mexico's economy has quadrupled since the NAFTA agreement. Um, and so when it comes to these other countries, us getting involved in their economic side would be a huge, a huge plus for them. It's just sometimes you have to do it through force or incentive, and obviously middle of the 20th century, force was used a lot. You did mention Cuba. Uh, we had a situation with the Bay of Pigs, which, you know, people probably have, have at least heard of the Bay of Pigs, uh, but may not know much about it. And so it was sort of a, it was a plan to help overthrow the Castro government. Um, and it's stuff like that, where like, as they say, damned if you do and damned if you don't, and seeing that we don't swear on this show, uh, we'll just say darned if you do and darned if you don't. Um, so it's it's a tough line and it's a tough decision to make where, okay, how involved in these other countries' uh, policies can you be without actually encouraging an overthrow, uh, enticing a coup, um, or just, you know, doing it yourself like we have done in the past. It's a, it's a tough, it's, it's not tough to not do, but it's got to be very um, tempting to do it because you, you know, hey, if anything, we can, we can make this country much more prosperous. Um, and it's one of those things like, do you, do you encourage that activity or, or do you not? There's no right answer. Exactly. The, the, there, there, there is no. We the, we we got involved in Iran in '53. Mm -hmm. The gov the government there was was uh, attempting to nationalize uh, many of the, uh, the the refineries and the oil platforms. Now you know the United States and Britain had significant money invested in those refineries and those platforms. So for the Iranian government to just sit there and say, "Hey, we're going to take it over." Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people. A lot of people would say, "Well, you know, it's it, it's their land, it's their country. Of course, they can do it." Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Money that is invested in a country benefits the nation. Yeah. And if if a private citizen is going to invest millions of his own dollars into a country, that country cannot then turn around and then take 
what you invested. Right. Doesn't it doesn't work that way? And then you know later on when nobody else wants to invest in your country because they don't trust you, they're going to whine and complain, saying, "Oh, look at what the Western powers are doing. They're they're keeping us down. They don't want to invest in our country." Now Venezuela, Venezuela uh, nationalized all the uh, refineries and the pipelines and everything that was there. Yeah. And so, what country in the right mind would want to invest in Venezuela? Exactly. I mean, Venezuela has everything that you need as far as oil production to be uh, massively successful economically, but nationalize. And I really hope that our listeners who may be on the fence on, you know, well, what's wrong with nationalizing things? Uh, it's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. We've, we've, we've talked about that uh, uh, just lightly, just lightly touched on it. But whenever something is, is nationalized, especially if it's a, it's a huge industry, it's a, it's a money grab for the government and therefore it shuts down production from a private sector and from a free trade perspective. So really nobody benefits except the higher ups in, in government. And that, that's just the way it is. Um, yeah. And so I want to, I know we've got a list of countries that we want to mention that the U.S. has either gotten involved or not gotten involved with. Uh, I think probably the, the first one is Hawaii. That was the first country that we ever uh, got involved to overthrow the government. Um, and that was a whole twisted thing, starting off with sugar barons uh, over there who were, you know, American, Dutch, uh, several, several countries involved in that um and they all wanted a piece of the hawaiian pie um and so it was really bad timing for the hawaiian people because all of a sudden when we were planning on ensuring that hawaii would be free the spanish-american war broke out um, and then the Philippine American war broke out. That's the, you know, towards the end of the 19th century and we stayed. And then, you know, they became, uh, one of, one of the States. Uh, so it really, really sort of a colossal uh, failure there. And actually Bill Clinton apologized to the Hawaiian people in 1993, uh, for America helping overthrow uh, the kingdom of Hawaii. Uh, and speaking of the Philippines, I know we had mentioned in, in the bully pulpit, the Philippines, the Philippines, maybe a lot of people don't know this was a U.S. territory after the Spanish American war because, uh, the Philippines belonged to, uh, Spain. And after the Spanish American war in 1898, uh, the Philippines, uh, became a U.S. territory and then there was the Philip, uh, quote unquote, Philippine American War in 1899 to 1902. Uh, and there was just a lot of going back and forth. And readers, if you want to, you can get that book, The Bully Pulpit, and find out how much Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft had to do with what went on in the Philippines during that time. Really, really interesting uh, stuff. And it really exemplifies how great of a man William Howard Taft was, uh, who's also one of the uh, Supreme Court justices. Yep. So, yep. 
And at the end of the day, uh, Philippines, they were granted independence in 1946. Um, so July 4th, July 4th, 1946. Look at that. There we go. Um, very cool. And then I wanted to obviously discuss when it came to overthrowing governments and everything, a lot of that had to do with what we now know as the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency. Um, and a lot of it had to do with ending communist expansion, um, especially post-World War II. And it's interesting that I believe it was Patton, you can correct me on this, who really was saying, hey, once you know, World War II is over or the Germans are defeated and the Japanese are defeated, we, we need to go after the Russians now. Uh, is that, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, behave. You know, Patton was basically saying that if he got between the uh, the Russians and the uh, Germans, he would fight in both directions. And he definitely could have if he had uh, just, you know, set all of his troops yeah. on the Berlin Wall. Yeah, well, he, he, you know, Patton saw the writing on the wall. Right. He knew, he knew that, you know, the, uh, the only reason, the only reason why the Soviet Union was our ally was because Germany attacked them, you know. The Germans and the Soviets were allies from the invasion of Poland up until June 22nd, 1941. A lot of people don't know this because history books don't mention it, mm -hmm. but the Soviets attacked Poland about two weeks after Germany did, September 17th. So mm -hmm. the Soviets were not the good guys. They no. Not only did they attack Poland, they attacked Finland. They attacked uh, the Baltic nations of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, and they also attacked and invaded a portion of Romania. So, yeah, they were not good people. They were not a good. They were not a friendly nation. No, not at all. Uh, and and I don't know if maybe a lot of listeners don't know this either. Is uh, uh, the Germans and the Russians were allies uh, yeah. until Germany decided stupidly to attack. Or invade Russia during World War II. Yep. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people just don't know that they they give uh, Joseph Stalin a, a free pass on it. They do because they see the picture with Winston Churchill and uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, sitting next to him, and they're like, "Oh, he's one of the good guys." Like, let me tell you something: if there has ever been a wicked man in history, uh, Stalin's at the top of that list. So keep that in yeah. mind. Um. I did want to mention the National Security Act of 1947, which actually created the CIA. Um, it actually created a number of things. Uh, you know, we had Secretary of War from really the, be the beginning with Henry Knox under Washington up until uh, the end of World War II. And now it's the Secretary of Defense. Uh, that's the name of it. Um, and they, it, it established the National Security Council, the National Security Resources Board, um, and, and it established a number of, of I guess, uh, groups, um, agencies, um, advisory boards, and individuals who, who hold uh, prominent positions in the American government. It was, it's a huge, it's a huge, um, it's a huge act that people may want to check it out. Here's what I do like about this old act and the CIA Act of 1949. Uh, readers may want to know. Uh, the National Security Act of 1947, guess how long that thing is? 
three pages. Nine. Nine pages. Nine pages. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That is a beautiful thing. That's exactly what I believe the founding fathers wanted. Right. And I believe it was Madison or Hamilton, one of the two, who talked about making sure that uh, bills aren't so voluminous that nobody knows what they say. I'm going to guess it was Madison, but uh, that's a guess. Yeah. Um, and the CIA Act of 1949, I think, is uh, 31 pages. So it's like, I mean, come on. You, know, now we, you can we do had it. Some, we had somebody prior to that. I think it was, what, the OSS? Or was it the OSI? One of uh, OSS. I think it was yeah. OSS. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we had we had a spy agency, but right? And I the mean, spy you know, agency prior, prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor, we were a nation of leave us alone. We're not getting entangled in European problems or Asian problems. Um, you know, what's uh, help me out here? What's the word? We're- you we, we did. We, we did not have alliances. We were just. Uh, we were off on our own. Are you talking about the the CIA? Or are you talking about America? No, no, no. The United States. The United States isolationism. Isolationism. United States, yeah. Yeah. The United States had a policy of isolationism. Yes, and, and okay. that was that was pretty much the case for a a large number of of countries um, that eventually come end of the the 19th century going into the 20th century that sort of started up this whole globalization um, movement where isolation was no longer uh, part of it and and America helped with breaking that up uh, as far as like growing and sort of as as they call it the American Empire. Um, Right. Well, Woodrow Wilson was the uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, was the one that tried to get us involved in the European entanglements with the uh, uh, the League of Nations, and uh, you know, and then in uh, 1920, Warren G. Harding was elected president to get mm-hmm. us away from all that. His uh, policy was called "Returning to Normalcy." Yeah, that was his motto. And uh, we became isolationists again, but then World War II dragged us back into European entanglements when yeah. we did like the Lend-Lease Act, where we were giving England weaponry. Right. For exchange, for exchange of land, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, you know, Franklin Roosevelt wanted to get involved in the war, and ever since then, we have been involved. You know, back in those days, that was England, that was France. They were the ones that led the way. After World War II, yeah, we led the way. Right. Led yeah, definitely. Way. Definitely, we got involved in a ton, uh, and and it started primarily revolved around the CIA. Um, and it's it's interesting that one of the one of the quotes that Harry Truman, uh, and he was the president when the CIA uh, was formulated. Actually, the OSS was um, they were he was being briefed, uh, I believe, weekly um, on the intelligence, and that's something that he really wanted to have happen, and so he really encouraged. Uh, the creation of the National Security Act of 1947 and the CIA Act of 49. And one of the things that he said once the CIA was was put into place, and we talked about this uh, the other night, just you and I just talking, is that the CIA, when it started off, it had a blank check. It could do pretty much, and you guys can read this in the National Security Act of 47 and the CIA Act of 49, that 
the CIA had pretty much free reign on just about anything that they wanted to do. There was a lot of um, just not a lot of clarity. It was pretty, you know, uh, you know what I hate. I hate it when I when I want to say a word and I can't think of it. But there wasn't really definitive lines um, that were drawn on the CIA. And one of the things that uh, Truman ended up saying is like, uh, for some time I have been disturbed by the way CIA has been diverted from its original assignment. It has become an operational and at times a policy-making arm of the government, which is scary um, to think that, that that could happen with an agency. And he said, I never had any thought that when I set up the CIA that it would be injected into peacetime cloak-and-dagger operations. And speaking of peacetime cloak-and-dagger operations, uh, those are some of the things that we want to pinpoint, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I would like, if Truman were around, I would like to remind him that, you know, prior to the CIA, uh, things got out of control. World War One, World War Two. Mm-hmm. We haven't had. We have not had a world war since. Yeah, and you could also, you know, people would probably make the uh, the argument that you've also had the EU, which everything is is tied together um, when it comes to that. So it's also yeah. something to think about. Um, but it's interesting that the CIA, uh, one of the senators, uh, Millard Tidings, uh, American uh, Maryland Democrat, uh, in '49 when he was talking about the act. Uh, he said, men in this agency frequently lose their lives. Several have already done so and under not very pretty circumstances. And this indicates the lack of uh, accountability for the CIA with the American government. Uh, and this is back then. Obviously, they have made a ton of uh, adjustments to the law. He says, several have done so already. If we force the agency to have a record of vouchers, foreign agents, we could pick up information as to the identity of our agents and what they were doing. So it's sort of a two-edged sword where, okay, they don't need to have the accountability so much where everything is being printed out and, and given to people where it can be leaked, because obviously that's a real danger. But at the same time, like if you're not accountable, you can do a lot of the stuff that they were involved with, um, like you said, in 1953 with Iran. And, you know, speaking of, you want to just go ahead and tackle some of these uh, countries? Sure. Let's talk about 1979, Iran, when Jimmy Carter decided not to get involved, and look what happened. Yeah. There was uh, Nicaragua. Um, there was a uh, Sandinista coup. Right. Um, that was it, uh, Somoza. I believe the guy's name is President Somoza. And uh, Jimmy Carter did not want to help or assist Somoza to fight off the Sandinistas, the communist Sandinistas. And mm-hmm. we ended up having a uh, communist regime that became a base of operations for the Soviet Union. And they spread revolution to Guatemala, to Honduras, to El Salvador. That's what happens when we didn't get involved. Right. Uh, other times that we, uh, we got involved... Um, Let's see. Now there was uh, there was what was called the 1958 crisis. Um, the uh, the king of Jordan was assassinated. I'm sorry, not the king of Jordan. The king of Iraq, who was a cousin of the king of Jordan, was assassinated. And um, when the king of Iraq was assassinated, 
they tried to overthrow King Hussein of Jordan, and they tried to overthrow the president of Lebanon, who was pro-West, um, uh, Camille Shamoun. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was led by Egypt and Syria. And the United States got involved by sending about 10,000 U.S. Marines to Lebanon. Uh, so that was an, that was a case where we did get involved, and it did preserve the uh, Lebanese, uh, the legitimate Lebanese government. Yeah. Um, the Soviet Union got involved with the Chinese Civil War, and all the weaponry that they captured in Manchuria from the Japanese, they gave to the communists, right. the And what happened? Uh, well, China became a communist nation in 1949. Exactly, and. At that time, that Mao, you know, takes over, and how many tens of millions of people were were killed, uh, either through execution or famine. And, uh, that's the that's the thing. And and speaking of uh, the the Chinese, really the civil war that took place, uh, a lot of the uh, nationalists uh, that went uh, that were defeated by Mao, they moved on over. Uh, about 12,000 of them moved on over to Burma, and they stayed there um, and really just committed uh, guerrilla warfare uh, over in China, so they'd go back and forth. America uh, backed these Chinese nationalists. Apparently, Burma government did not like that at all, Uh, but uh, the Burmese government embraced China, their policies, obviously the communist uh, policies, and they nationalized the rice industry, which made up about 70% of their, their GDP, really, uh, or, you know, of all the things that they put together. Uh, and now look at look at Burma. Burma is, I don't even think, it, it's not even called Burma anymore. I don't even know what it's called. So Myanmar. Yeah, Myanmar. That's right, Myanmar. Myanmar. Uh, it, it's, yeah, M-A-Y-A-N-M-A-R. I, I, I can never say it. Um, but it's just, man, it, look at what happens when, when you don't get involved. And then look at what happens when you do. The American people get really irritated, i.e., you know, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Vietnam is the biggest situation uh, when it comes to that. Uh, I would say Korea, but honestly, like, we were already there in Korea, uh, at the at the end of World War II, so it's not like we went over there post World War II. We we're already there, and in 1945, at the end of World War II, we told Japan, "Okay, now you got to leave." And so Korea was, you know, became a a nation again. Um, but at the end of World War II, uh, Korea got split in two by us and Russia. They came up with an idea, okay, we'll just put together the 39th parallel, split the country in half, one is communist, one is democratic, and uh, what happens, but in 1950, the North Koreans attack, you know, and we help uh, fight that war, the Korean War, which ends in 1953, Um, and what takes place is a ton of people are killed, millions of people are killed, a ton of uh, Korean civilians um, the numbers are, are extravagant as far as the liberal numbers. The conservative number is around two to three million civilians. Um, but it goes way higher with uh, more of a, an elaborate number, uh, which a lot of people think are, is more accurate. Um, but you actually, you saved South Korea. Uh, and you go to South Korea and you go to North Korea 
And you're like, yeah, thank God America got involved in that. And actually, the Korean War was the first time that the United Nations got involved in any uh, in, in any war. Um, so yeah, I mean, and people were like, look at look at North Korea now. Uh, look at the the struggles that they've had since uh, since the break. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's no good, man. You. You got to make a decision. You got to make a decision. You yep. just hope it's going to be the right one. Take a look at the Congo. Now, in uh, in June nineteen June thirty nineteen sixty, uh, Congo became independent from Belgium. Well, the uh, the person who became the prime minister was a communist by the name of Patrice Lumumba. Now, Lumumba wanted Soviet and uh, Chinese aid. Eisenhower was like, mm, no. So uh, they tried to get him assassinated, but it looked like the, uh, the Belgians uh, beat us to it. But it did save Africa from having a communist Congo. If you look at a map, the Congo is a big splat right in the middle of Africa. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, what is that? Is that part of the Heart of Darkness from Joseph Conrad? That's the one. That is the very one. It's a good uh, book. Joseph Conrad. You know, I read that book. I, I didn't... Eh, I don't know. Okay, have you, I, have I mean, you like read a, Apocalypse Now. I was going to say, have you, read a, have you seen Apocalypse Now? Uh, yes, I know See, Apocalypse Now is based off the, uh, the Heart of Darkness. You know, you have the same character's name, Kurtz. Kurtz mm -hmm. is dead. Uh, yeah, man, look, I, I read Heart of Darkness after I watched Apocalypse Now, and I couldn't wait to read the horror. I was like, I, I'm waiting for that line. So, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great line. Um, yeah, so, so government, you know, involvement. One of the times that we didn't get involved, and people flipped out, like, why are we not getting involved uh, is when, in 92, when the Serbs invaded Bosnia. It took forever, uh, during the Yugoslav Wars, it, you know, it took forever for us to, to get involved. And it's one of those things like, man, you know, do we, do we not? How do we, what do we do? And there was a lot of outcry and a, a lot of requests, uh, especially from the Bosnian people, like, hey, you know, help us out. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Well, or did I flip this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that when when the former Yugoslavia split into uh, uh, numerous countries, now Serbia and, and Montenegro still they were still attached, but Slovenia went. Uh, Slovenia became independent. Macedonia became independent. Bosnia became independent. Croatia became independent. Mm -hmm. So now there were a lot of Serbs in Bosnia, and that is why there was a civil war in 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 Bosnia for so long. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was, you know, but, I believe it was the Serbs trying to go for ethnic cleansing. Uh, in, in well, there, that, the ethnic cleansing was going on on both sides. Okay. They, you basically, you had the Muslims in Bosnia and you had the Orthodox in, uh, in Serbia who were supported by Russia. But Russia had just, uh, Russia had just collapsed. Right. Soviet Union, Soviet Union had just collapsed. They really didn't have the muscle to get involved. You know, keep in mind that Serbia was the reason why World War One 
happened because Russia uh, told Serbia that they would defend them, and that brought in uh, Germany and France into the picture. Um, but the Soviet Union just had just fallen. Russia was too weak. They could not assist the Serbians when we were assisting the Bosnians. And, you know, I mean, you know, that that's one of those civil wars. Is that a war that we get involved in? Precisely. Yeah. I mean, you know, what do you I do? Mean, what, what good? Yeah, what do you do? And, there, and there was, I will say this: there was no clear-cut bad guy in that war. Okay. I know the media. The media wanted to make Serbia the bad guy, right? But, but there really wasn't a bad guy or a good guy in that in that war. It was just a bunch of guys. Full, it was a full-fledged civil war. There were atrocities committed on all sides. Yeah. Now. You know, if you look at, let's say, uh, Libya or Egypt, you had the Arab Spring. You know, getting rid of uh, Mubarak and getting rid of uh, uh, Muammar Gaddafi really bit us in the butt. Yeah. You had in Egypt, you had, uh, because, we did not su- because we did not support Mubarak, you ended up having the Muslim Brotherhood who is our enemy taking over Egypt. Yeah. A guy named Morsi became the president. In Libya, we had pretty much declawed Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah. But the U.S., Britain, and France went and, and really aided the rebels to overthrow him. Mm-hmm. Gaddafi was brutalized and murdered. Yeah. And then you had chaos after that. Right. So here's one case where we helped, which was Libya, and it turned into a fiasco. It turned into chaos, which then led to on September 11th of, uh, of uh, was it, I think it was 2012 when we had our uh, our, our embassy attacked in uh, Benghazi. I think it was in Benghazi. So that was a case where we did assist yeah. a coup. But then in Egypt, when we didn't assist a coup, or we, when we didn't assist Mubarak, we ended up with a Muslim Brotherhood. Now, eventually, uh, a general named Sisi overthrew Morsi, which was a good thing. Sisi, at least, is a sane Egyptian, whereas Morsi is a Muslim Brotherhood, and he needs to rot in prison. Yeah. And... You know, uh, speaking of uh, the Benghazi incident, uh, listeners, if you haven't, I'm not a big fan of Michael Bay movies, uh, but 13 Hours uh, actually was a was a good one. I don't know. That if was you... a very very good movie. Yeah. So that one was, I think that was done very well. John Krasinski is in it, uh, and he's just he does a fantastic job. Who is he is also the new Jack Ryan. Uh, so that's pretty neat. Um, yeah, just want to wrap this up real quick. Uh, because we've been going on uh, about an hour now. Uh, there's so many countries uh, that you're... And listeners, the, the, here's the purpose behind this conversation. It's it's like we said before, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like You have to make a decision on, okay, how is this going to benefit, one, the, that country itself? Two, how is it going to be- benefit us uh, economically or just from a, a national security standpoint? And third, how is it going to benefit the rest of the world or at least the rest of the region? 
And those are things that have to be, they have to go into play. They have to be thought about. Um, and, you know, I think we, we, we sort of get lost in, uh, well, we, we can't get involved. We, we, that's not our business. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a globalist society as much as maybe we don't want to. Uh, I know a lot of conservatives don't like the idea of a globalist uh, society. But, hey, that's just the way it is, especially from an economic standpoint. Even if you don't involve yourself in anything else but the economic uh, part of the world, it's still globalist and, and you still will suffer consequences if you don't make the right decisions. And you will suffer consequences if you make the wrong decision. Uh, we have the war in Iraq. You know, a lot of people say, yeah, the war in Afghanistan was the right move. The war in Iraq was the wrong move. And I think a lot of people, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, I think a lot of people make the right assertion that the war in Iraq, man, we really shouldn't have gotten in there. And you know what's interesting is if George Bush, George W. Bush, would have really taken into consideration what his dad had said during his presidency was, you don't go into Iraq. Why? Because if you do, you'll never get out. And that's the thing. Uh, you, you can't get out of there. You can't get out of countries like that sometimes. Because right. what ends up happening is you, if you do leave, you leave it worse than, than it was. And when, you know, Barack Obama getting involved with Libya, you know, I, when he, when he noted, Hey, look, we, we backed the, you know, we backed him. We, you know, bombed him. We sent, you know, what was it? I think it was a Apache missiles and, and we did what he was like, this is what we did. And we feel good about it. And I thought to myself, yeah, you know what? I'm glad you I'm glad you did that. Gaddafi was a bad guy. He was, you know, somebody that, you know, to get rid of. But now that I am, you know, wiser, older, and I've given it to some thought, it's like, man, Bush and Obama, those those decisions were the wrong decisions because of yeah. the instability that it created. As as crazy as it sounds that the countries in the Middle East, they they are surrounded by uh, tyrants. It's like, I don't like it. Nobody likes it. But the alternative, I'm sorry, is worse. And that's, yeah. that, and that's the issue at hand, like with Venezuela. Hey, do you get rid of, you know, do you uh, at least back the overthrow of that government? What do you do? Do you... You know, do you go in like with the Bay of Pigs and try to, to back that play there to overthrow the Castro government? Uh, what do you do? Because if if you know anything, and I think a lot of people, historians, give Alan uh, Foster Dole or John Foster Dole's and Alan Dole's uh, a hard time. Who were I think Alan Dole's was the the first CIA director. They give them a hard time because they viewed the world in a very skewed. A small perspective that there are a lot of bad people out there and they need to be taken care of. Not always the right choice to make, but they didn't look at the world through rose-colored glasses. And that's what we have to understand. Like, Look, there are a lot of bad people that will not just affect their own country. It affects a lot of other people. Please understand that. Yeah. You know, one, one country where we did successfully, and it worked out very well, uh, was the, uh, the Grenada invasion. When we invaded Grenada, there was a there was a communist coup going on, and Reagan sent uh, Marines and Rangers in and basically uh, cut short the communist coup, and 
reestablish some stability over there. And there were about 500 American uh, students at the uh, medical center there. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, interesting, interesting scenario. It is, it is a, what do you do? Do you, do you get involved? Do you not get involved? Um, it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a you tough know, one, I, man. My, my, my feeling, the best thing is, is supply the good guys with as much money and weaponry as you can. Let them do the dirty work. And let's get rid of the bad guys. Get rid of the bad guys, yeah. That's true. As best as best you can, uh, and just let you know, there's always a there's always another bad guy uh, waiting around the corner to take to take power. Just FYI, right. so uh, just depends on you know eh, which bad guy you want to deal with. Uh, and and speaking of which bad guy you want to deal with, which one you can deal with, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's a here's a fiction movie. If you never uh, checked it out, Sicario. That's a good one, and it really sort of demonstrates what we're talking about as well. Um, I did want to mention there are a lot of links that you guys can check out, listeners. Um, and some of them, like the CIA, actually does a very good job of providing a lot of classified, uh, de- actually declassified, but it was you know classified at one point. Now it's declassified. A lot of declassified information. If you want to go to their website, it's a uh, cia.gov slash library slash publications. Uh, you can actually look into the Freedom of Information Act electronic reading room and bring up a lot of stuff, but go to the, go to the, the link and we'll put it into the, into the podcast as well, into this episode. Uh, and I'll also put in the, the acts, uh, the, the CIA Act and the National Security Act into the link if you guys want to, want to read those. Uh, it'll also have at least up to 2012 in the CIA Act of 1949. Uh, it, it's updated from 2012. So the past six years, there, there may have been some updates to that act, uh, but they are annotated in there to let you know what adjustments have been made uh, to that. So yeah, so if you guys want to want to check a lot of that stuff out, feel free. Um, and as always, uh, Alan... We want to end on a scripture. What do you have for us? Well, I have the conversation between Pontius Pilate and uh, Jesus. It's uh, John 19, 10 and 11. On the first verse, uh, Pilate said to Jesus, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus responded, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. Mm. Now, this is the NIV version of the uh, Holy Bible. Yeah. And there you have it. Uh, rulers are put into place and taken out of place. Uh, and I think you know that's... <laughs> It's it's the way it is, man. Like things are not done by accident, and I know uh, it's funny that we're mentioning uh, communism. I mean, communists believe, at least pure believers, they believe that history is deterministic, and that history will lend its hand to ensuring that communism takes over. Uh, and so Christians believe that that God has everything in His power. Um, and everything goes, nothing is done without his um, having done it. 
you know. Uh, and if you want to, you can you can read into, and I've been reading over the book of Daniel. That's a really cool book that you can look into, and it makes mention a lot of that. Like he does, you know, God does what he wants for specific purposes. Um, and so, yeah, readers, uh, yeah, John 19, 10 and 11, that is our scripture. And uh, for all of you who are uh, believers, just know that everything is in the hands of God. So doesn't mean don't worry about anything. Uh, I don't know how people say don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get concerned every once in a while. So, yeah, just keep fighting the good fight. And that's the only fight you need to be involved in. So, Amen. All right, uh, listeners, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please do us a favor and rate and review. Also, tell your friends. Uh, put it up on uh, your social media accounts uh, about us. Uh, put this episode up and say, hey, you know, there's a ton of information about uh, American involvement and non-involvement in other countries' uh, governments. So it's a pretty uh, interesting topic. It's also very controversial. Um, uh, but yeah, check it out. Let your friends know where to find us and where would that be, Alan? Well, let's see. You have YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and www.thesonsofhistory.com. You got it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and if you please would like to comment or if you would like to send us a message, do so via our Facebook page or Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube, like uh, Alan said. We'd love it. And make sure you like and subscribe and all that jazz. So, And if you like jazz, we'll probably never do a history of jazz, but listen anyways. All right. We'll see you all later. Y'all take care. Take care.